Mr. Robot Season 3 has not yet started, but we're just getting started, getting ready, talking about the USA Network show here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. Hello, friends. I'm Josh Wiggler, and I am joined here by my friend, Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, we're back. We are back. Back on, Is it Robot Road again, Josh? No, it's not Robot Road, or at least it's like, I don't know, like a robot on-ramp is, <laughs> is what we're on <laughs> before we get into the highway of Mr. Robot. Are we heading to the city or away from the city? I don't know. I think it's always important to be driving toward the city. We're going toward the city of Mr. Robot coming up very shortly, October 11th, the season three premiere of Mr. Robot. Antonio and I, of course, have been covering Mr. Robot for well over a year now at this point, uh, though it's been a long time since you and I have talked about Mr. Robot. That might be over a year since we've talked about this show. It has been a while, and it's uh, it's never been far from my consciousness. It's not like I've forgotten about Mr. Robot. There were some great things that happened in the Mr. Robot universe, lots of cast announcements, things we'll get to over the course of this podcast. But it, it was delayed. It was not The show is not airing this year at the same time it did last year, so it does seem like it's a little bit longer of a wait. All right, so we're going to be talking about Mr. Robot here on Post Show Recaps all season long. What's also exciting is we're talking about it here on The Hollywood Reporter as well, Antonio. We're teaming up with THR, my home base, to talk about Mr. Robot all season long. That's fantastic. You do such great work over there, Josh, for THR. You cover Game of Thrones. I know you had some incredible coverage of the preseason and an ongoing coverage of this season of Survivor. So I have really loved the fact that you've made THR your home base, and I'm happy to be part of it in this small way. It's going to be really fun. We're going to have a lot of content on THR for Mr. Robot all season long. We're going to have interviews with creator Sam Esmail. We're going to be talking to the cast, Rami Malek, Carly Chaikin, all those people. We're going to have a lot of coverage. We're going to have weekly coverage with our man Cora Donna who is one of the producers and writers on Mr. Robot and is the guy that if you like the hacking nonsense on Mr. Robot it's not nonsense to Cora Donna he is putting a lot of thought into that stuff so we're going to have weekly conversations with him over there as well and we're going to have this weekly podcast as well where we're going to be doing really deep dives into the episodes beat by beat storyline by storyline really trying to pick apart what's going on here on Mr. Robot that's something that Antonio and I love to do on shows in general uh, the leftovers which ended this year i think was the pinnacle of our podcasting relationship antonio but mr robot has been sneaking up there and i've got a good feeling that this could be the peak this might not the twin peak but this could be the peak of our podcasting bromance coming up here with mr robot season three Wow, peak podcasting. That sounds phenomenal. I, uh, that sounds mi- fun. <laughs> Mr. Robot is definitely a show that rewards the deep dive, that rewards the investment. It rewards looking around the corners and underneath the uh, mail, if you will, and breaking the codes. There's an ARG that's going on throughout the course of Mr. Robot. So there are a lot of things hidden deep within this show. And I think uh, not to pat ourselves on the back, but we've done a really good job at sussing some of them out over the course of the series. And I'm... I. When anytime that happens, I certainly feel good because it feels like the show is asking the viewers to be invested and it rewards that investment. And so I always feel good about talking about Mr. Robot with you because I, I feel like it does help me understand the show better. And I think hopefully it helps other people understand the show better. And I, I love that you're going to have so much content on The Hollywood Reporter this year because some of the stuff you've had in the past has been phenomenal and, and has done a really good job at helping understand and break down a lot of that. So I'm looking forward to that as well. By the way, Josh, if you call hacking nonsense, I, I don't know. Have you not seen the news? You better be very careful. I think basically <laughs> all elements of your identity are out there now. China owns everything. Equifax ruined us all. It, the, the, Mr. Robot is nothing if not prescient and I was certainly say. at the top of mind, right? Yeah, like how could we forget? <laughs> 
Yeah, prescient is definitely the word. I think Mr. Robot's going to be a very interesting show to talk about in 2017, you know, in today's world. Not that it wasn't already a very relevant show in a lot of ways, but I think it's uh, it's especially fascinating now in the universe that we are currently occupying. So we will talk about all of that throughout the season, I'm sure. For those aforementioned articles and interviews and columns, you can go to THR.com slash Mr. Robot. And for all of the Mr. Robot podcasts that Antonio and I have already done and will continue to do postshowrecaps.com slash Mr. Robot iTunes. That's MR Robot iTunes. We have lots of coverage already in the bank. Uh, the good bank, not the bad bank, not the evil bank, not the e-court <laughs> bank. Yes, we have an e-coin there podcast. Uh, e-coin podcast is what they are. So they're fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. If you could go to postshowrecaps.com slash MR Robot iTunes and subscribe or leave us a review in iTunes. It will really help us move up the charts. It will help get this podcast more notoriety and more feedback. And that feedback can help drive what we talk about from week to week. Uh, we appreciate being an interactive podcast like that and participating in this robust robot discussion that goes on online. So definitely postshowrecaps.com slash MR Robot iTunes. And like you said, Josh, we have a long history of podcasting at post-show recaps already with Mr. Robot. Uh, If people are not familiar with the show, there are some podcasts there that can help get them started on this robot road. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. So today we're going to be talking about Mr. Robot as it's already, you know, come out, you know, everything that's already happened on the show up to this point. We're going to be talking about seasons one and seasons two in full detail, full spoilers for both seasons. So if you're not caught up, I would turn away now or, you know, maybe you aren't caught up and you plan on just diving into season three cold, (laughs) which is a brave, brave traveler. I must commend you. Savage way of approaching Mr. Robot. That is certainly an option for you. And you can listen to this podcast and hopefully we'll get you up to speed. Otherwise, I would turn this off if you have not seen the first two seasons of Mr. Robot. But if you want some podcast companionship as you are making your way through Mr. Robot for the very first time, we have talked about every single episode of Mr. Robot. Leading into season two, Antonio and I embarked on what we called Robot Road, where we talked about every Every single episode from the first season, both in a spoiler-free and a spoiler-filled context. And that led us into season two, where we were talking about season two with just our fresh takes. So we've got a ton of podcast coverage on that front already. We also did an Anything You Need to Know About Mr. Robot general overview before we launched into those specific episodic podcasts. So you can start from the very beginning. Lots and lots of material you can go over. Anything I'm missing out on, Antonia? No, we we hopefully, if, if you're jumping in for the first time, uh, hopefully you enjoy the show and you're along for the ride. It's like a Ferris wheel, Josh. It's circular storytelling. There are a lot of things that have happened even in the first season that we still want to get some complete clarity on. And the show does go back and fill in these gaps. So if you're jumping in for the first time, I think you're going to see some things this season, hopefully, that uh, you've probably been wondering if you've stayed with the show for the first time, when we're going to get those answers. So there's a, there's a really fun element of this show that fills in blanks and goes goes back and and it shows things from a different perspective sometimes. So whether you're jumping in for the first time or whether you're on this ride and you're on this Ferris wheel of circular storytelling, welcome. And we hope to provide the content all season long that will make that ride more enjoyable. All right, so we're going to launch into this right now. We're going to start by we're going to break Mr. Robot down into seven parts. We're going to try and break down. We're going to try and tell you all too soon. We're going to try and tell you. We're going to try and tell you guys everything that you need to know to be prepared for Mr. Robot season three. And we're going to break that into seven points. And I think the first one it's going to be a mouthful. I'm sure we're going to be stuck on this point for a good little while. But I think just overall, our first thing that we need to get out of the way is 
what is a Mr. Robot? You know, what is this show? Who is Mr. Robot? What's going on when you're entering this show? What is the story of Mr. Robot, Antonio, as best as you could explain it? Story of Mr. Robot follows Elliot Alderson. Elliot Alderson is a computer security analyst, computer hacker. He's a guy who knows a lot about computer security. And he has some grandiose designs on what to do with that knowledge. Namely, he wants to save the world. And in saving the world, he's going to hack essentially the largest corporation in existence and use his skills as a hacker to take them down and to free all of mankind from the invisible hand which holds them down. That is a very familiar term if you're familiar with any kind of political theory. But in this case, it's all about the money, Josh. And Elliot is concerned with the way the world operates and the way most people are held down by the their wage slavery or buy money. And his job is to hack the corporation that essentially controls the majority of that and to take them down. And that's what he's really focused on almost from the beginning of the series. Yeah, he is very focused on reshaping the landscape of civilization and culture. And he's just very, you know, he's an angry guy, Elliot Alderson. He has a lot of issues going on in his life. He has a lot of social issues, a lot of personality issues. And those personality issues become very, very dramatic in the form of an additional personality, the titular Mr. Robot. Yes, the titular Mr. Robot, who is not immediately revealed to be a secondary part of Elliot's personality. Elliot initially sees him as the person who's recruited him to the hacker collective that is going to take down E-Corp. But in reality, it is actually just a, a projection of Elliot's dead father, Edward Alderson, someone who had a extreme impact on young Elliot's life uh, and who was taken from him by cancer that was probably caused by E-Corp uh, and has probably therefore for generated and germinated this hatred and a lot of these issues that Elliot has. In the first season, Elliot doesn't realize that Mr. Robot is an alternative part of, part of his personality. Of course, the dramatic reveal at the end of the first season is not only that Mr. Robot is his father, but then that his father is dead and he's just projecting him. And that projection and, and Elliot's dealing with that and, and trying to figure out how to come to grips with the fact that he's created this person and is manifesting him and is, that person is controlling him for large parts of his actions that really is the conflict that drives Elliot's action throughout the course of the second season obviously leading Elliot not only to imprison himself to try to rid himself of Mr. Robot to go through all of these circumstances try to overdose on Adderall but ultimately Elliot has to come to grips with this fact that he and Mr. Robot are one in the same and Mr. Robot can often take control without Elliot having any ability to stop that from happening. It's really cool on a narrative level, of course, that like the the big antagonist of the show is the enemy within, and it becomes a very internal cerebral cerebral story as a result of that. But it's also just very cool on you know just the viewing experience and what is technically done in in the telling of this story. The fact that you have Rami Malek, who has played this character to award winning heights as Elliot Alderson, he's so spectacular as this character, and this projection of Mister Robot, this second side of his personality is played by Christian Slater, who is obviously legendary in his own right. And there's just so much that's being done in conversations between the two of them with other actors in the same scene and people having to focus on Rami Malek while Christian Slater is in the room and walking circles around people and also interacting with them and interacting with Rami Malek as Elliot. It's just really spectacularly, you know, tense and and really artfully done. Um, and it's just it's it's really interesting throughout season two 
too, especially once the cat's out of the bag, as it were, that Elliot and Mr. Robot are the same person. The show starts getting a lot more experimental with this idea where you do get your moments where you're seeing Rami Malek allowed to play this darker side of Elliot because, you know, Elliot just generally is kind of a darker individual, but there's a side of him that is militant, that is outright willing to, you know, cut down anybody in his path in order to achieve this overall goal of reshaping society, it feels like. And you get to see a couple of times in season two, you get to see uh, Rami Malek in that mode. And it's just, it's really compelling. It's really compelling to try and figure out, you know, are there moments where are we watching the right Elliot? And are there moments where Elliot is able to outsmart his own personality? Is he always just a servant to Mr. Robot? So the dual personality of the protagonist, the fact that the protagonist is all also the antagonist to me is one of the richest parts of the show. Absolutely. We've we've said in, in past podcasts that Mr. Robot is sort of this rampaging, unbridled id of Elliot. This he's not subject to these norms in any way. He just he's all about taking things down. When he when Elliot does imprison himself, Mr. Robot is, is freaking out, right? He, he shoots Elliot in the head. He goes through all these things because he is not in control anymore. And control becomes a major part of their relationship. Elliot at one point plays a chess match against Mr. Robot for the control of Elliot and they ultimately continue to tie in that chess match so that this is a this is the these are the, these are the stakes that Elliot's playing with Mr. Robot by the end of season two though there as you point out there are some really interesting things that are going on with Elliot Mr. Robot Elliot is watching Mr. Robot knowing that Mr. Robot is himself from other rooms or sitting on a, a couch across from another couch watching Mr. Robot talk to Darlene uh, his sister so there are these phenomenal things that are happening from a visual standpoint, from an acting standpoint, from a staging and blocking standpoint that almost make you forget that these two are the same character. Elliot, near the end of season two, in fact, says, oh, I forgot. You know, he is me. Like, I I don't know why I'm thinking like I lost him. Like, I'm him. I have to remember that. And because there is this this relationship between the two of them where sometimes when Mr. Robot is in control, Elliot doesn't remember what has happened. There are these central questions in the show that still have not been answered about things that happen with regard to the actions Elliot has taken when Mr. Robot was in control. Elliot doesn't even remember many things that Mr. Robot clearly was involved in. So we as viewers experience that disorientation as well. And that's a really, really fun thing on a show. As I said, that does reward that kind of deep watching when you're doing that and you're watching it on that deep level. You're going to get payoffs. And you're going to get realizing oh, in, in season one, when you start to wonder what's up with Mr. Robot, when you go back and watch, oh, those characters weren't even looking at Mr. Robot. They were only looking at Elliot or, oh, this is clearly a thing where they couldn't. It, that's probably just Elliot fighting with himself. So there are a lot of fun things the show does with that for sure. Yeah, so I think Elliot Mr. Robot, that's the most compelling angle of Mr. Robot for me. But there's a ton of other characters on this show as well. And season two especially did a lot of legwork in fleshing out these characters. You know, many of them were already really fully formed in the first season. But season two dives deep into some of these personalities in, in really magnificent ways, I think. Some of those characters include, as you mentioned before, Elliot has a sister, Darlene. She's played by Carly Chaikin. She is, you know, very surly, very sarcastic. 
ethic, a very caustic person, a hacker in her own right, and in her own way, very militant as well, at least for the first few, uh, you know, moments in her story that we know her for. She's kind of, you know, breaking, you know, hitting the brakes a little bit in that regard. Over the course of season two, she is in a relationship with a man named Cisco, not Turtle, uh, who is a, who is a hacker of the Dark Army, which is a Chinese-based hacker organization that is doing a lot of business with F-Society, seems to be a much more dangerous and organized uh, entity than F-Society, which is the hacker group that Elliot has founded as Mr. Robot. So Darlene is an important player in the mix. There's Angela Moss, who's played by Portia Doubleday. She's Elliot's childhood friend. She uh, and Elliot are both linked in the fact, and Darlene is linked into this, of course, as well, in that Elliot and Darlene's uh, father and Angela's mother all worked for E-Corp and were killed as a result of their of their work and potentially their exposure to radiation or some sort of dangerous material. They died as a result of their work for E-Corp, and they've all wanted justice in their own ways, and they've been pursuing it in their own ways. And over the course of season two, starting with the end of season one, Angela has been digging into E-Corp from within. She's gotten a job at E-Corp. She is cozying up to Philip Price, played by Michael Christopher, who is the CEO of E-Corp and is just a fabulous, fabulous <laughs> presence on the show, does incredible work with dialogue, just has some of the, you know, the most terrifying at one turn and, and hilarious at another scenes uh, in, in this whole second season. It's just, he's so spectacular. Josh. So Angela, yeah, so Angela is working her way through E-Corp through that avenue. Uh, who are some of the other important characters to put on the board in this overview of Mr. Robot? Well, as you set up Philip Price, he's the CEO of E-Corp. And so this is this corporation that, that F-Society is hell-bent on taking down. And, and, and as you point out, uh, Angela's goal is to do the same from within. And by the end of season two, their interests are dovetailing in that Angela is coming into direct contact with the F-Society agenda. And she's brought into direct contact with the F-Society agenda by what I think most would call the leader of the Dark Army. Me, the character White Rose, who is Philip Price's ally or grand enemy. Or... We talk about them in the Magneto Professor X sense, you yes. know, like they're kind of like, um, you know, so, sometimes they seem like old friends, but they're old rivals as well. There is a there is a serious tension there and also a mutual respect and a mutual understanding of each other's threat level uh, and also a great deal of animosity. It's a complicated relationship for sure. It is. You come to realize that that White Rose is a female hacker, uh, the leader of the Dark Army. Uh, she hacks time. She is very influential in terms of the Dark Army's goals and the agenda. There's only one scene with White Rose in season one, played by B.D. Wong, but White Rose dominates that action and dominates that scene. And you realize that White Rose is probably the most powerful character on the show. She knows things that Elliot doesn't. She is instructing Elliot. She's controlling every meeting she's ever in. And actually, White Rose is a double character because B.D. Wong plays the, the character in uh, what we would say male mode as well as Minister Zhang, who is the Chinese government's minister of technology. So here we have a character who is the leader of one of the greatest or, or darkest or most destructive hacker groups in the world, is also the minister of technology for the Chinese government. And you, you come quickly to realize, I think, with, with White Rose or with Minister Zhang, however you want to, to phrase B.D. Wong's role, that he or she and Philip Price 
are probably two of the most powerful people in the world. Season one ends with a fantastic post credit scene that has this very eyes wide shut feel to it, where they're meeting in this Golden Coast style home in a very rich, uh, opulent setting, and they're sitting by fire, and there are these people that look very high society there, and they're discussing this hack that has gone down, and they're talking about it in almost like terms like you might talk about it's going to rain tomorrow, like it's not that big of a deal, and we have other things to worry about, and so you realize immediately that these are probably two of the most powerful people in the world. And then it's they're, revealed... Yeah, go ahead. No, no, definitely. I think that they're just spectacular characters in that relationship in many ways is, you know, it's it's not dissimilar to the Elliot and Mr. Robot relationship where you have something that's so adversarial yet symbiotic in a way where we need each other. There seems to be that relationship at play between White Rose and Philip Price as well. Yes, but there are some, there's some venom behind... Uh, fangs that exist within that relationship because we find out in season two that white rose killed philip price's predecessor and she killed philip price's predecessor she says for doing some of the same things that philip price is threatening now and white rose says i'm inclined to take the same action now and philip price threatens to reign chaos on white rose so there there are the whether the relationship is at arm's length or they're punching or they're threatening or they're old friends or they're working together Sometimes it seems like they have the same agenda, as you're pointing out, but also sometimes it seems like they're working on their very own specific goals. And that goal seems to be, Josh, no- nothing shorter than at least the very control of society, the control of the economy, the control of people, the control of everything. There are a lot of complicated things going on between the two of them that involve loans and that involve transactions at the, that supersede the governmental level in either of their governments. But there are some more interesting things going on with White Rose and Philip Price that we can discuss later in this podcast. Yeah, and it's worth noting that the shape of the world as we know it in the universe of Mr. Robot, it's completely overhauled by the end of season one, that this hack that is uh, this this attempt to bring down Evil Corp, as Elliot likes to call them, it's successful at least to a large degree, that unbeknownst to himself, once Mr. Robot has this moment where he's able to basically take control over Elliot for about a period of three days, right? It's about about three days that Elliot yes. loses. Yes. In that three days, an attack is taken on, out on E Corp that really brings them to their knees and kind of totally overhauls uh, so, uh, social society, you know, fi- financial society. Everything is just completely upended by the end of season one. Uh, and season two is largely spent trying to put the pieces back together. Uh, what can you say about the shape of the world that we're seeing in season two and where we leave that as we're heading into season three? Well, we leave season two with stage two of that hack, the Dark Army plan with Elliot uh, having in most being in motion. Ultimately, stage one was deleting E-Corp's data backups in, in terms of their Chinese backup and in terms of their United States backup, and then encrypting all the primary digital sources of their data, their data being all of the bank records, all of the real property records, all of the loans and deeds and financial transactions and credit reports. All of that is in accessible for E-Corp. And they're such a large corporation that you're talking about the majority of the world economy. Uh, And that has a major impact, obviously, on society. We see swap meets, Josh. We see society crumbling apart. We see bodegas and mom and pop shops closing up. Cash becomes king. People are not sure if they're going to be able to keep their mortgages, etc. 
And so what E-Corp is doing to try to respond to this, because they, they recognize, and in fact, one of their representatives shoots himself in the head on live television at the end of season one, because he recognizes that nothing can be done techno- technologically speaking to undo this hack, at least so far as they know. And all they can really hope to do maybe is reassemble the massive paper trail of all of those payments and all of those documents and all of those deeds and transactions and titles. And, and Mr. Maybe, Deeds, all of the DVD copies of Mr. Deeds have yes. vanished as well, which is weird. Which is fine, honestly, especially <laughs> if it's the second, if it's the remake. But yeah, this is uh, this is fine. You know, nobody's nobody's hurt by that element of what's happened. But yeah, that's what they're doing. They're reassembling all these paper documents. And stage two of Elliot and the Dark Army's plan involves blowing the building up where those documents are being stored, so that ultimately there is no record and there is no way for E Corp to get their footing again against people at all. Which I think leads us pretty well into what our second point of these seven things you need to know about Mr. Robot. Uh, we, we, we have a, a really serious cliffhanger at the end of season two where Elliot is shot. He is shot by a man we'll talk about in greater detail in a little bit, but is basically shot on orders from himself. Uh, the Mr. Robot side of Elliot has warned this man, Tyrell Wellick, who we'll talk about in a bit, that... Anybody who tries to stop our plan, anyone who tries to get in the way, you're going to have to take that person out, even if it's me, uh, which shows just the, the great lengths that Mr. Robot, the Mr. Robot side of Elliot, is willing to go to for his plan. He is so committed to the plan that he himself doesn't even need to be around to see it through, which leads us to what we know about season three, which is not very much. We don't know a ton about what's coming up in season three of Mr. Robot. We know Elliot's alive. We know we're not going to have a show called Mr. Robot without Elliot and Mr. Robot in the mix and Sam Esmail right after uh, the creator of the show Sam Esmail right after season two was very candid about that we're not trying to leave you on any kind of cliffhanger where uh, you're supposed to think that Elliot is dead Uh, that just wouldn't make sense and that wouldn't be playing fair with the audience but what we are getting into with season three and this is something that both Esmail and USA as as an entity have been forward with is that season three will really heavily focus on the descent integration of Elliot and Mr. Robot, the personality links between these two characters. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that what does that even mean? You know, I'm I'm you know, you scratch your head when you when you think about what could the show look like the, the disintegration of Elliot and Mr. Robot who share this one human vessel. How does that shake out in your mind, Antonia? We saw a little bit of that starting to happen, right? This disintegration. We saw it at the end of season two with the shorting out. Uh, we're seeing actual power brownouts happening in the world uh, because of the power grid having issues and maybe some other problems, which we can talk about related to the, the meta story of Mr. Robot. But Elliot, in Elliot's world, he's shorting out. He's browning out. And that we've seen where he is in the bathroom and hears Mr. Robot talking in the other room. And that's very disorienting from a viewer's standpoint, because where where is Elliot actually while that's happening and what what is going on there? And we just know that that is already a thing that's happening in, at the end of season two. 
Elliot induces this lucid dream state so that he can observe Mr. Robot acting. He can stand in the same room as Mr. Robot and see Mr. Robot hacking and, and going and trying to break a code and doing all these things and, and realize, like, I'm watching this happen. I, and he, can, he starts to hear inside Mr. Robot's head, Josh, which is, as a viewer, super disorienting because we have always experienced Elliot's internal monologue. Elliot talks to us. Hello, friend. We, the viewers, are an imaginary friend that Elliot has created to tell this story to and involve in this story. And there are moments, like in season one, where Elliot is starting to come unwound and realize that Darlene is his sister when he's on the subway and says, did you know this? And he looks right in the camera and slams it to the ground. There are moments where we are part of this story. Uh, Elliot is talking to us throughout. So it's really disorienting when we start to hear Mr. Robot's internal monologue. His lips are not moving. It's Christian Slater's voice. So there already has been the beginning of this disintegration. We saw the, the, the real at the beginning of season two Positional disintegration of the Elliot and Mr. Robot relationship when Elliot did imprison himself and Mr. Robot is shooting him in the head and Elliot is overdosing on Adderall to get rid of him, all of that. But by the end of that prison storyline, after Elliot has gotten askew with the warden and gotten himself beat up and put into a, a horrible place. Mr. Robot and Elliot essentially create a sitcom universe, the TGIF uh, universe, this this 80s, early 90s sitcom world to protect Elliot. So Mr. Robot is not always oppositional. We've spent a lot of podcast time talking about that. So if their relationship is disintegrating, are we going to see more scenes, Josh, where we're not sure if Mr. Robot is talking as Elliot or Elliot's talking as Mr. Robot or when a character, I mean, there's a lot we could get into with that for sure. Yeah, I think that that's one of the big questions is, and especially if season two was starting to blur that line a little bit, where sometimes the show was allowing Rami Malek the role of Mr. Robot, where they are allowing him to physically act out what everybody else sees, you know, not what Elliot sees. Elliot sees a projection when he is acting that way, but the world around him sees, you know, Elliot Alderson acting in this highly militant and highly focused way. And we got to see just a touch of that. We got to see like little tastes and teases of that throughout season two. Are we going to see a lot more of that in season three that was one of my biggest questions leaving season one of this show was how much you know how much is christian slater going to have to do now that we know the secret behind elliot and the show found really great ways to use christian slater uh and to use that version of mr robot and even to have you know flashbacks to edward alderson so you get to see different roles for christian slater but how much of that is going to be in play here in season three if the idea is there's a disintegration between these two sides of elliot's personality. I think that that's going to be fascinating. I think you have to imagine, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense that that these two characters are going to be in extreme opposition right now because season two did spend a lot of plot energy in the Elliot storyline about getting these guys back on the same page. And Elliot, who had imprisoned himself intentionally to hide himself from the world so that this part of himself that he did not he does not fully understand would no longer be able to cause so much mischief and cause so much chaos and caused so much destruction and uh, overhaul of the world and his plans would be handcuffed and he would be away from technology and he would not be able to do all of the things that he was planning to do that he just did not grasp. And over the course of that prison storyline, which was, you know, controversial for, for many, uh, the fact that Elliot is not actually at his mother's house. He is in a prison, literally, and a fabricated world of his own design. Um, the whole thrust of that was to get these two characters back completely on board with each other where Mr. 
robot was essentially able to seduce Elliot into thinking that he could be trusted and we need each other in order to move forward and we can work together and we can make things right. And Elliot starts to piece together I think I got had. I think I've been conned a little bit. I think there's something going on here still that I don't fully appreciate and understand. And that bears out by the end of the season two finale, where stage two is in effect or it's almost in effect. It's on the precipice of being put into effect. This destructive act that's going to really finally bring E Corp down to its knees uh, and cut off the head. Uh, and now that Elliot has, you know, you know, he stared death in the face. He was willing to, you know, to test Tyrell Wellick and, you know, put his his life on the line potentially in order to stop this plan. And the Mr. Robot side of Elliot is so into this plan, is so committed to the cause that he's willing to die for it. Now you can imagine that there's no more illusion. You know, there's certainly an illusion that's going on here. And Elliot has... Michael. Yes, yes. Tricks are... No, we don't need to go there. Elliot is, Elliot is highly capable of deluding himself and creating fictional worlds that make him more comfortable. And I'm sure we'll see a lot of that whimsy still in season three of Mr. Robot. I think that that's just sort of structurally baked into the show. Yeah, but for you can, sure. But you can really you can really imagine the scenarios now where, you know, there is no trust between these characters. If there ever was like Mr. Robot effectively cheated Elliot out of his safeguard. Now Elliot understands that to some degree, at the very least, if not fully understands that there is something happening here that I do not approve of, but part of me really wants to have happen. So there's got to be a, a hugely oppositional relationship between these two characters. But how that manifests in terms of the, the playing of the drama, that's what I'm really curious to see. Like Fundamentally, intellectually, you understand that these are two forces that are completely opposite of each other, but how that plays out within the same physical vessel is going to be remarkably exciting, I think. Yeah, and it, you... You point out the dramatic ways that it can play out, but we've also talked about that they can play out in really interesting, fantastic ways, as you say, from a whimsical standpoint, but just from uh, from the way the show can address them. We talk about the way people are browning out or Elliot is seeing things as Mr. Robot or not Mr. Robot. So I'm really looking forward to that as well. One of the things I always wondered, Josh, and I, and I wonder if this will come into play in season three at all, in season two... Elliot tries to control Mr. Robot and has some success for a limited time by overdosing on Adderall. But Elliot should be, by all accounts, on other psychotropic medication, and he's not taking them. I wonder if the way to get rid of Mr. Robot is just to actually take the meds that maybe he should be taking, and maybe, just maybe, that will have an impact. But the reason Elliot's not doing that is Mr. Robot does have information that Elliot wants. And throughout the course of Season 2, that was a major battle between Elliot and Mr. Robot. What happened in the three days? Where is this character, Tyrell Wellick? What happened to him? And that was a bone of contention between the two of them in Season 2. Mr. Robot, in, in some way, in fact, telling Elliot, well, I, we killed him. We shot him. We had to. Him. It was him or us. I didn't want it to be us, you know? So uh, Christian Slater is, struggles with that admission. Finally, Elliot gets it out of him. But that's not true, Josh, right? And that gets us to the third point here. Tyrell Wellick is back. 
All right, so let's set up who Tyrell Wellick is. I mean, if you you know are somebody who watched season one and then got lost in the woods of season two and decided, I don't know, uh, but now you're thinking about coming back, you should know who Tyrell Wellick is. But he was gone for so long throughout season two that I think it's just worth resetting who this character is, played by Martin Wallstrom. Who is Tyrell Wellick, Antonio Mazzaro? Tyrell Wellick is wanted to be the youngest executive in E-Corp history. He was shaping up to be the that. He was on a path. He had these very Patrick Bateman-like American psycho tendencies, the kind of guy that paid bums to let him beat them up. So I believe he, we called him the Scandinavian psycho. Yes, we did. That, was, that, was, that may have been a moniker that we applied. Uh, he, yes. he, has, he, has a, he called himself a cold robot, or not to be a cold robot. He practices his speech. He's willing to go to great lengths, Josh, to get what he needs to do with an E-Corp. But, but the problem is he, throughout the course of season one, gradually started slipped away into total madness uh, and ultimately murders the wife of the man who was appointed the chief technological officer instead of Tyrell. He ends up fired from E-Corp as a result of this. He ends up getting in league with Elliot to take down E-Corp as a result of all of these things falling apart. And then, Josh, he goes missing after the hack, the five nine hack, the, the big hack, the first initial hack against E Corp goes down seemingly with Elliot and Tyrell working together to make it happen. And then we don't know what happens to Tyrell. Tyrell is gone. He pops up a little bit throughout the course of season two, but we don't know if it's real or a projection by Elliot. He's on a phone call. He's in the sitcom world that Elliot creates. There are Tyrell sightings that are being talked about uh, throughout society. So we don't know. He's the most wanted man in the world and certainly in america josh is tyrell wellick but by the end of season two he he's back and he's the guy who shoots elliot to stop him he's the guy who shoots elliot to stop him and it's clear that he is chiefly involved you know he is right at the heart of whatever stage two is whatever this next plan of attack against e-corp is uh and we don't know the full extent of that and we don't know the full extent of his relationship with elliot it would appear that he is in love with elliot he has confessed as much to angela he tells angela at the end of season two after he has shot elliot and he is giving angela the update on how elliot is doing he says i love him whether that's you know some sort of existential love or brotherly love or romantic love you know really remains to be seen though i do believe actually in speaking with me uh for for some of these interviews in in season two that both martin wallstrom and sam esmail did clarify it's a it's a sense of romantic love and it's a really interesting romance that they're they're very excited to see play out in the future of this show so we've had uh, a scenario where we have been without tyrell Welk for a very long time we don't fully know where he was during that time. All we know is that he's back. He's been working uh, very hard in this plan. He is deeply committed to this plan in taking down E-Corp and whatever happens next. It sounds like he wants to be a god still and thinks that he is going to be a god alongside Elliot, who I think he is confusing uh, to be Elliot, but is actually the Mr. Robot side of Elliot. All of that is incredibly fascinating. And one of the most exciting things about season three is Presumably, we're going to get a lot more than like five scenes of Tyrell Wellick in season three, which would be a disaster if, if I'm wrong. <laughs> that would be, that'd be very frustrating. Uh, but I will, it, it I will would, make you eat those words. It, I, I mean that. I don't know would, what that looks like, but I'm going to do it. it. Well, you can like spell them out in an alphabet soup or something, and I'll, and I'll, I'll eat them that way. <laughs> it would take a lot of work on your end. I don't know if it's worth it. Oh, it's uh, worth it. I want to make you suffer for that if that, <laughs> if that comes to pass. 
eat a big bowl of robotos. I don't know what, what we call that cereal. Uh, but yeah, so we, we don't know where Tyrell has been, but you got to assume season three is going to fill in those blanks, right? Like what are the odds that we get a full blown Tyrell Wellick episode that catches us up on where he's been? Well, we need it. We need, well, we, we don't need a full blown episode, but we do have blanks that need to be filled in. Chief among them are what happened in the three days that Elliot was blacked out. When we see in season two, we fill in the blank. When we take Elliot and Tyrell into the arcade where F Society was headquartered, Quartered and they're about to execute the big hack together. They're going to be gods together, Josh. That's what Tyrell always wanted. It's going great. And then we don't know what happens. In season two, we get just a few, maybe a minute or two after that, and we see Elliot reaching into a popcorn machine and getting out a gun that we know was there. So we're, we're meant to believe that, um, that that's happening, that, that Elliot is probably shooting him. Uh, and we don't know that to be true. We still don't know what happened in those three days. Clearly something happened, because the other missing piece of this is Tyrell's wife, Joanna Wellick, who throughout season one was terrific character, by the way, terrific Unbelievable character. character, the lady Macbeth of the relationship. Yes. yes. She's the one guiding all of these actions. And as Tyrell is falling apart and losing control, she is cool as ice and sitting back and planning these things. And then in season two, she's uh, taking a lot of interesting action. She's bribing, for example, the parking lot attendant where Elliot wakes up after the three days that he's missed. Now, how does she know to do that? How does she know what's going on? What is her role in all of this? And I think a Tyrell episode or filling in more of those Tyrell blanks is important because we need to know what her involvement is. How much is Tyrell involved with the Dark Army? We also don't know. that We've, we've talked a ton, Josh. I mean, a lot of people thought that Elliot and Tyrell were actually the same person, that Tyrell was another manifestation of Elliot and that this is just some other thing that was happening. We 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 shot that down throughout the course of our podcast pretty regularly, but the the, the reason people continue to be interested in it is we don't have all the information about Tyrell, and it does seem like there's a there there in terms of missing interactions between Elliot and Tyrell, whether it's in the three days or whether it actually predates some events of the series. We don't know, but there does seem to be a deeper relationship between those two characters. Tyrell says he loves the guy. He has barely met the guy that we've seen, maybe three or four scenes together at max. So it's fantastic to think that he would love the guy and it makes me wonder if there is a deeper history that we could get with more Tyrell information. So I'm fascinated to see Tyrell Wellick back on the show as a full-time character and what we can do with that. All right. Well, that leads us nicely into our fourth point here that uh, Martin Wallstrom as Tyrell Wellick isn't the only person who is poised for more screen time here in season three. We've already talked about White Rose, uh, but B.D. Wong as White Rose, as you mentioned, only appears in two scenes in season one. And one of them is a post credit scene appears a bunch of times in season two, but not you know, not really regularly, not a ton, right. not a ton. Very, very fascinating every time we see her, but not a lot. B.D. Wong is a series regular for season three, and you don't promote a character to that status unless you've got real plans for, for this person. So I'm fascinated to see what season three's role for B.D. Wong is. And you've been uh, you've been deep down the robot hole in recent weeks, Antonio. You've been doing a really Careful. extensive... You've been doing a really, really extensive deep dive into all things Mr. Robot. You have re-watched all of the episodes. You have read the uh, the Mr. Robot book that came out that Sam Asmail had created. Uh, you've I think you even re-watched season one twice. Is that correct? Yeah, my mom had not seen it, so I re-watched <laughs> it, and then I re- she was interested in what I was doing. 
doing and what I, and what I wondering what what's this show so we I watched it again with her within the span of a week I watched it twice so 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 you're you're hacked in you're hooked in you're real you're jacked into the Mr. Robot right now mainlined. in a really in a really profound way right now yeah you're mainlining for sure um and I I would love to throw this to you because I think that there's been a lot of like what is White Rose actually after what's going on with Washington Township and this power plant that White Rose seems to be really invested in and has designs on the Congo, apparently. And we just don't fully know what White Rose's plan is. We know she is deeply invested in concepts of time. Uh, there were a lot of moments that were about time in season two. Lots of Back to the Future references as well. A very surreal and odd and divisive scene towards the end of season two. The penultimate episode, I believe, or close to it, is that scene between White Rose and Angela that's a little Twin Peaks-ish, very Lynchian in a lot of ways. You've walked away with some with some more takeaways upon your rewatch of Mr. Robot and just reconsuming all of this material. What do you think we're getting into through the White Rose story heading into season three? The As you point out, White Rose is only in limited scenes, two in season one and probably six or seven total in season two. I'm not sure the exact count. So you're right. As far as the meta story of the plot goes, those scenes are phenomenally important because they drive this major project that is at the heart of what happened with Elliot's Ma or dad and Angela's mom. What happened with the lawsuit that is driving or, or as a result of all those things that Terry Colby, the, the, uh, one of our favorite characters, the, CT, yeah, the fallen Colby. CTO of E Corp, uh, is involved in this thing. And it's a major issue in season one. It's cl- clearly a major issue continuing into season two. White Rose is obsessed with the particular plant, the E-Corp plant in Washington Township, New Jersey, where Elliot's father and Angela's mother were ultimately poisoned by radioactive material of some sort and died. And when White Rose meets with Angela in the end of season two, as you're describing in that very fantastic scene, the one of the longest scenes we see of White Rose, White Rose basically says to Angela, did you ever think that maybe your parents were sacrificed to the greater good, that maybe you and Mr. Alderson are who you are not? Not on accident, but as a result of some specific thing. Uh, and that has a lot of speculation uh, attached to it, right? Because White Rose is basically saying, like, I know your parents died. I specifically know that your parents died. And they were dying to as part of this greater project that I have. And that they this project in, in some ways created who you are. They, they, they made you, Angela, and they made Mr. Alderson the people that you are today. And we also know that White Rose has killed to protect this project. As I mentioned earlier, when she talks about how she killed the previous CEO of Evil Corp and by, by arranging a plane crash, Josh, uh, she says there are no accidents. What did I tell you about using that word? She says she killed him because he was trying to shut her project down, her project at that plant. And we know ultimately that is the leverage that Philip Price uses to get her to authorize the Chinese government to bail E-Corp out with $2 trillion worth of money, ultimately. So this is of that much of vast import to White Rose, this project. And 
The other thing we know about White Rose is that she is obsessed with time. The, one of the first things she says to Elliot when she meets him in season one is, you hack people, I hack time. Time is very important to her. Time is of the essence. When she meets federal agents in China, Agent DDP, Dominic DiPiero, played wonderfully by Grace Gummer, who we haven't really given a ton of lip service to on this podcast, but who is another great character on the show. There's a phenomenal scene between the two of them. And in that scene... B.D. Wong in as Minister Zhang gets really shaken up when he says, like, did you ever wonder, like, is it possible that what life would be like if the five nine hack hadn't happened? In fact, there are some people who believe like at this very moment that we're living in alternate timelines or alternate lives where this didn't happen. And the, 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 the thought of it has it interests me greatly. And he's almost crying when he's talking about this. So I'm of the mindset that the, the project that that White Rose is working on at that Washington Township plan involves nothing less than probably trying to literally hack time. Uh, time travel, Back to the Future 2, and things like that are, are, are undercurrents throughout the course of this series. It's Elliot's favorite movie. Um, Sam Esmail is very interested in it. By the end of season two, we're hearing multiple songs from the Back to the Future soundtrack. It is certainly an undercurrent in the show, and it's definitely something very important to the character, as White Rose, she says to Angela, it's very interesting that you didn't want to just open the door and walk out. Doors are amazing because they present infinite possibilities. And I just think White Rose is ultimately trying to hack dimensions or hack time at this Washington Township project and plant. And that is really White Rose's goal with this thing. And a lot of people are reading like world domination into White Rose. And that might be true because certainly if you were able to do this, you would have that in your pocket. You would have world domination in your pocket but there does seem to be a harder sci-fi element to this character and a harder sci-fi project that she's been working on and i'm fascinated to find out if we're going to get more of that in season three and where that will go and i got to admit i'm nervous you know because i do think that one of the great strengths of mr robot has been um even though it is dealing with sort of heightened scenarios and it's very inventive and imaginative especially through the elliot character that he can kind of fabricate these worlds that he just closes his eyes and opens them again and he's no longer in prison he's in his old neighborhood or the fact that he is able to just manifest a projection of his of his deceased father and that is the form that he gives to this side of himself that he can't bear to be a part of you know even though it's presented in such an extraordinary way it's still grounded in a very human reality and i think that the events of mr robot for the most part have been grounded in this very sense you know this very sturdy sense of reality and what we're discussing here is a possible swerve into into potential science fiction territory into something that is a little bit more outside the box uh and and really not even a little bit more outside the box that would be very a very serious uh swerve and we started to see shades of that towards the end of season two with that scene that we're discussing where Angela is taken to this house and she's put through this test and then she gets to meet White Rose for the first time. You're starting to get a sense of maybe Mr. Robot is interested in this kind of territory. And I don't know. At the time, it didn't sit well with me. Time. Uh, and I... Yeah, I, 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 and I still need to be convinced. Um, you know, my reading of Mr. Robot has been a certain way, and I need to see, I need to see a little bit more behind the curtain of what Sam Esmail and his writers team have in mind for those ideas and how that is going to factor into the future. You seem to feel pretty confident that that is White Rose's plan, and I just, I want to see how that shakes out on the show if we are moving into that territory because that could be make or break with me for Mr. 
monster robot. Um, not that, you know, I'm not closed off to like really, really taking a swing for, for a big outside idea, but I would have to go back and I would have to really see like what was being planted along the way to really get us to a place where we could be seriously considering time travel an aspect of the show. So I'm fascinated. Uh, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm anxious if that's the direction that we're going in. Um, but I'm open-minded. I, I, I love this show quite a bit, and I think that this show has been a lot more hit than miss for me. Um, that scene that you were mentioning that we've talked about at length now is not my favorite scene of the show uh, and is not a scene that worked really well with me on the first pass. So I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious if you really think that that's the direction we're going to go in, what season three can really provide in that regard to really convince people who are a little bit skeptical of robot going into that territory, such as myself. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be time travel. There's just some greater meta story, for sure. And there are other little hints. there, And, and we'll talk about some of those things probably in future podcasts before the season starts. But there are other little hints that make it seem like the greater story of why did Mr. Alderson and, 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 and Mrs. Moss die? Like, why did that happen? And, and what were the, were the specifics surrounding that? Because Mr. Alderson, as Elliot goes into the hospital after he shoves, after Mr. Alderson shoves young Elliot out a window that creates this, this inciting incident that leads to a lot of the problems with Elliot. The, Mr. Alderson is seen in the hospital saying to his wife, like, well, I told you, you don't have to worry about the bills. There are not going to be any bills. He's opening up a computer store. He was known to be one of the best computer computer engineers who worked for Evil Corp. And you have White Rose at the end of that season basically saying, like, did you ever think about the fact that your parents might have died to help change society? Like, maybe they were part of another previous project with White Rose similar to F Society that was to try to take down E Corp from within or that was to try to change the way society operated. Those are secrets that Elliot probably doesn't know, even as Mr. Robot. So we're not going to get them that way. So you talk about, and let's, are we going to have a Tyrell Wellick episode? The White Rose episode is the one that's fascinating to me. And like I said, it doesn't have to be successful in that we don't have to actually introduce time travel on the show to have a character like White Rose who is fascinated and obsessed with it and is trying to make it happen. So that's the, that's the I think they, they can thread the needle that way for sure and introduce totally, totally. that you've got a character who's interested in these sorts of things and who is focused on them without it actually working. I mean, Mr. Robot draws a ton from Fight Club and Dexter, and we've talked about that, but there are also strong science fiction influences in Mr. Robot. One of the strong among them, Josh, is only becoming more apparent as I'm preparing to see the film Blade Runner in theaters, the new Blade Runner. There's so much Blade Runner connectivity between Mr. Robot, uh, with Mr. Robot. So with all of that connective tissue, there are a lot of different possibilities as to what this project in Washington Township could be. And it doesn't involve time or not. I just think it probably involves time because White Rose is so focused on time. So that seems the most likely scenario. But there's definitely something there. And season three may finally answer the question of whether or not Elliot Alderson is a replicant. Uh, the, <laughs> I mean, the, the, from the Tyrell Corp, you mean. A replicant from yes. the Tyrell Corp. Yeah. That's right. That's right. All right. The next point we want to talk about is, of course, lots of increased roles for some of the characters that we love already. Uh, but we're going to get to meet at least one new face coming up here in season three of Mr. Robot. And that is a character that we know very little about other than 
who is playing this character, and that is none other than Bobby Cannavale, who is one of the uh, one of the one of the greatest actors working. I think he is just terrific. He has such a presence in everything that he is in, whether that was Oz, which he he shows up in like the final two episodes of that show in just a spectacular role as Torquemada. He is famous for Boardwalk Empire, where he has a really great arc on that show. He was the star of the very short-lived Vinyl, which you and I and Rob Sesternino podcasted about briefly once upon a time in the long uh, the long ago era of most shows recapped Antonio RIP all we know about this character is that his name is Irving and he is a used car salesman that does not sound like that's really going to hold so maybe I don't know uh, you know Mr. Robot's a weird and unpredictable show and it just might be that a used car salesman is going to be like the most important character in the Mr. Robot universe but we're bringing in you know we're bringing in chef jeff you know we're bringing in the spectacular uh actor here to play a new character one of the one of the two new series regulars alongside bd wong here uh what are we expecting from from irving are you excited about this show tossing in somebody who's clearly going to be fairly important at least to season three this deep into the game I'm excited that it's Bobby Cannavale, as you said. Uh, he does maybe seem to be connected to the Dark Army. I don't know. I'm only basing that on like little snippets that I've seen in trailers uh, where he's got guys with Dark Army masks next to him. Uh, he could be phenomenal. When you say car salesman, I mean, what do you think? What What is that inspiring within you? Sure. Like, what, sure. I mean, like, is, I, I, is there a Kurt Vonnegut connection? Are we talking about the... Uh, that, is that is that it? Like, is, is it a- well, well, there there is, you know, a very important car mystery on Mr. Robot, is there not? You know, there's the whole what happened to, you know, with Tyrell's car and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, could could Irving be connected into into that storyline? Could he be somehow involved in the Tyrell side of everything? Yeah, is, or is it a front? Like, is he operating some kind of dark army front as a car dealer? Is that going to play in? Like I said, there is the Breakfast of Champions. When I think of one of the great things about Mr. Robot is it, it samples from, pays homage to, uh, directly calls out so much great literature film tv things like that 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 inspired sam esmail and inspire others in the writer's room that i i think of that and i think of breakfast of champions so i wonder if it's a car salesman on a different kind of level or if it's uh if it's somebody having this kind of nervous breakdown or what's going on with all of that so i'm i'm fascinated to meet this character i'm i'm really excited that it's bobby cannavale that's a home run cast i don't even know i don't even need to know what he's doing on the show to know that i like to see him josh he was even in uh, the noted film ant-man is that correct he <laughs> yeah he had a, a tiny role in ant-man yes. though he was not a tiny person ant-man right yeah he was not a tiny person he was not ant-sized he was a normal-sized man uh yeah so yes. i'm uh he's he, he won an emmy for his boardwalk empire work he's just a, a really a really just like you said an electric actor so i'm i hyped that he's on one of my favorite television shows and i cannot wait to see how this plays out all right, so not a ton to say on that front. Just to, to plant that flag that this is somebody who is coming to the Mr. Robot universe, and I think you and I are both really, really excited to see how that shakes think, out. And we're just, yeah, do you we're think, just days away, you, days away from finding out. It's really great. You think he's going to have like a warehouse full of those blow-up figures uh, like they have at car dealerships to try to like entice customers in, those, those flying guys? 
Oh my god, that's perfect. You can imagine the montage right now. Like that just uh yeah, that that shoots itself. That writes itself. <laughs> no, that's that, gonna, I don't know. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, I just yeah. I there's there's a lot of possibilities when you say used car salesman. That's a that's a trope an archetype if you will. And I there's a lot of possibilities to have a lot of fun with that. So I'm, I'm somebody somebody who's good at convincing you, yes. somebody who's good at selling you on on bad ideas, right. somebody who who maybe you can't necessarily trust, not to like really broad brush the used car salesman. No, if there are any used car uh, salesmen listening right now or salespeople listening, uh, certainly yes. you know, there are very honorable people in your profession, but maybe he's not one but of that, them. But that is the archetype yes. in, uh, in, in fiction. Maybe we'll get like, uh, you know, the, the true lies style of used car salesman. Maybe this is going to be a guy who thinks that he is, you know, who's presenting as deeply entrenched in the dark army of it all, but he's just a fraud. You know, who knows? Could, like, could just, be like just keep him away no, from Arnold Schwarzenegger. A little known film, The Goods, which has a Craig Robinson connected connection to Mr. Ah. Robot. That could be something there. So there are a lot of possibilities. I just can't wait to see Bobby Cannavale on Mr. Robot. I'm just like a birthday gift for me, Josh. I'm really fired up. All right. So our penultimate point here as we are talking through Mr. Robot season three and what to expect is the season. Let's talk about it a little bit structurally. The first season of Mr. Robot was 10 episodes. The second season of Mr. Robot was 12 episodes with plus sized episodes, you know, episodes that would go really, really long. Um, season three, we're slimming back down. We, uh, we've gone on a diet. Uh, you know, we've just been like eating nothing but the, the barbecue chicken at Red Real- Wheelbarrow, you know, no sides. <laughs> No nothing, just like pure protein. And now we are back down to 10 episodes for season three of Mr. Robot. And I think that this is, uh, you know, this is something that's worth talking through because one of the things that Mr. Robot was really able to get away with in season two, especially, was, you know, a lot of really imaginative sequences. There's the whole sitcom episode. The entire episode isn't based on a sitcom, but a good half of it at least is. You know, Mr. Robot really like punches outside of the box in terms of its structure. And I wonder if only having 10 episodes does that limit that to any capacity does it just slim things down and streamline things and make it a cleaner tighter season three of mr robot certainly people there are definitely people out there and i totally understand it who felt that season two of mr robot really kind of got lost in the woods a little bit or went a little bit too far off the path towards what people had been expecting coming out of season one what are your thoughts on the fact that season three is coming in at a shorter episode order at least compared to season two and clocking in at that same 10 episodes as the first season. Does it feel like this might be a return to form for Mr. Robot season three? For the people that felt like there was a deviation from form, I think so. I, I do think so. Rob Sesternino podcasted with us at the end of season two of Mr. Robot, and one of his complaints was that the prison storyline, for example, he felt like it took a little too long. And I think that that would have been an abbreviated storyline if we had less episodes or less time. So there are elements like that that I think people who felt like maybe season two deviated a little from forum uh, they will find more pleasing but i do think ultimately this is a show about characters and season one had this breakneck plot pace that happened at the uh, throughout the course of season one and maybe we'll get that in season three i'm not sure that decreasing the episode order is going to change that though i think we're we're exploring these characters a lot more now uh, i think that there's a lot of 
honesty with the characters. We've talked about that a ton on this podcast about how once Elliot realized that Mr. Robot was a manifestation, one of the things that makes Mr. Robot great is he didn't just get right back to it. He didn't just shake it off, just wipe the dust off of his sleeves, dust himself off like Dexter does after horrible things happen to Dexter and just get right back on the horse. This is not one of those shows. This is a show where the actions that happen to the characters have consequences and they are on a journey, a character journey. And so I think we're going to continue to see that play out from an honesty standpoint to these characters in season three. What that means from a plot and pacing standpoint, I can't say for sure. Are we going to see, Josh, do you think we'll see stage two executed by the end of season three, for example? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that the, you know, whether it's executed or whether it's definitively not going to be right, executed. Right. Like, I, th- I think we get an, we get resolution on that point. Uh, and, and hopefully early on, but maybe it's a season arc. Um, but, I, but I do, I got to imagine, I mean, that's the big cliffhanger of season two is knowing the extent of this plan and Elliot putting himself in the line of fire to stop it and getting shot and being unable to stop it ultimately, at least in the moment. Uh, and we had speculated, like, we, we thought that maybe season two would culminate in something really really devastating um you know in a, in a really large way in like an act of really extreme terrorism that hasn't happened yet feels like season three has to resolve that issue whether or not it's going to happen is the question yeah and i bring that up because i do think that was another for people that had criticisms in season two they did have there were some people that had that expectation and mr robot is a show as we've talked about that rewards your investment and so it does i think it, it has the ability or capability of making people People feel burned for investing because when you invest in something and you're like, I'm pretty sure that I'm right about this thing and you are right about that, then you're like, I love this show. This show rewards me. But when you invest in something and it doesn't play out the way you think, you're like, oh, well, I don't like this show. Like this show is not rewarding me. And this show invites that deep investment. And so with that level of deep investment can come people being deeply disappointed or more deeply disappointed than shows which don't invite and reward that level of deep investment. So I do think that that's a tough tightrope that Mr. Robot has to walk. I think they're fully aware of that. And I do think you're right that by the end of this season, we will definitively know one way or the other the status of stage two. Uh, It does seem like there is a little bit of leeway built in for it to take a while. Tyrell says to Elliot at the end of season two, it may take them months to get all of the paper documents here on site. So they may have to wait for E Corp to arrange and bring all the documents to the building they're planning to blow up before they can actually blow it up. Uh, but maybe stage two will definitively not happen for some reason before all that happens. But I think we're going to get some resolution to that in the, cor- the course of season three. I have decided, Antonio, that I, I like the short season. I think 10, 10 episodes is a sweet spot just for TV in yep. general. There's too much There's too much TV. There's way too much of it. There's a million shows out like there. like channeling Rob Sesternino right now. It's true, though. There's just so much television out there, and you need to watch as much of the good stuff as you possibly can. And in order to do that, shorter seasons, they are your friend. I think it encourages condensed storytelling. You blitz through it at a faster pace if you're binging it. It's also just a comes more of an event, I think, if it's done in a condensed way. So I'm really excited to see a 10-episode Mr. Robot. I think 10 episodes is a great number. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious to see what that does creatively for the show and you know, really giving a sense of like every moment is precious. Every minute of screen time, you really need to treat that respectfully. Uh, so I'm, I'm pumped. I, I really, you know, as much as I would love to be podcasting about this show for like a dead 13 weeks, you know, like really going straight through that, I think that 10, you know, tight 
weeks of Mr. Robot. That sounds very enticing to me. So I'm I'm very I'm ecstatic about it personally. Me too. And um, I think that as you said, I think that creatively they'll be up to the challenge 100%. I just I would watch Sam Esmail direct a, a year of television. Like I just sure, yeah, of course. I, I, I mean I not to put that onus on him, but his I I personally <laughs> He's got other stuff to do. Yeah, but yeah. I was in the tank obviously for season 2 and I I loved every second of it from just a watching great stuff on my TV standpoint. But narratively, I am I am very excited by the possibility of 10 episodes. I do wonder, getting back to our previous point, just to wrap, put a bow on this, we had a, a big bad in season one, and this can take us into our next point as well. But we had a big bad of sorts in season one in Fernando Vera, the drug dealer, criminal kingpin who Elliot comes into very dangerous contact with and who over the course of several episodes has to resolve a storyline with. We had somewhat of a big bad of sorts in season two, at least through the first half, uh, with Craig Robinson's character, Ray, who turned out to be the warden of the prison, who was running this Silk Road-like website, and El- he needed Elliot's help, and Elliot ultimately turned him in. I do wonder, is Bobby Cannavale a one and done? Is is he like those right. guys? Is he on this show to be a sort of a, an underboss to the to the White Rose? Because Elliot's not going to be able to fully confront White Rose this season, I wouldn't think, since it's not the final season. Is he going to serve that role? And are we just going to get a 10-episode arc in that kind of story in Mr. Robot? This being the third season of possibly four, possibly five, I don't think we really know where this show might have an end point. So I do wonder if it's going to be a more isolated 10-episode uh, story uh, in something that seems like more of a you know a one-off arc with Bobby Cannavale or, or what the meta connection will be so that I'm interested to see how that will play out yeah full disclosure I'm fully expecting Bobby Cannavale to just be in season three like I'm fully expecting whatever character he's playing will not survive season three like I'm entering season three with that expectation he's a very in-demand actor right. I got I got to imagine he's signing on for like a really meaty you know done in one role uh, you know just like a, a, se- a season arc happy to be wrong if the character is great and proves to be essential but just my expectation coming into Mr. Robot season three is that guy is going to have some sort of fabulous death scene coming up before the end of this year. Uh, so we'll see, you know, plant the flag there, as you like to say, Antonio, we'll see. But you're right. That does lead us into our final point here, which is kind of broad. Uh, it's just there's a broad. there's a lot going on on Mr. Robot. There are tons of loose ends that are kind of just hanging out there in the wind right now. So I think it would be this is a great opportunity to just kind of take stock of some of our favorite things that are just hanging out there right now that we're hoping to see resolved in season three or at least hoping to see resolved before Mr. Robot ends. Yes. Um, and I think you, you brought up one that is, is important to you and I, uh, is Fernando Vera, who is this villainous character that exists only in the first season of the show, played by Elliot Villar, uh, feels a little bit extraneous at the time, or at least it felt that way to me, but it ultimately has this, uh, this really profound impact on Elliot's life in that he is the guy who ends up being responsible for killing Elliot's girlfriend at the time. Shayla, played by Frankie Shaw. Uh, And since then, Fernando, he gets broken out of prison by Elliot as part of this really elaborate prison break, no Schofields involved attempt. Uh, And since then, we have no idea what's happened to Fernando Vera. The show has has moved in a very deliberate direction that, to me, it's kind of hard to imagine exactly how you bring Fernando Vera back into the mix. Do you think that we will see this character in season three? I think we certainly agree. You got to see him again at some point. I 
it's hard to call in season three, but I think that there's a good possibility we will. And I do agree that we're going to, we have to see him again at some point. The, the lingering aspect of this ties into another loose end. And so I can just think we can talk about him at the same time. One of the big reveals at the end of season two is that the FBI has played this Python strategy. Python was the name of the final two part episode uh, or the last two episodes of season two, the finale in two parts. And the Python strategy of the FBI is that they've essentially known about a lot of the people involved in the hack against E-Corp from, for a very long time. We saw that play out in the background of season two, where the FBI was bringing in certain key players to interview, but we see it play out in very specific fashion when Agent DiPiero shows Darlene the FBI's wall of suspects and all of the connectivity therein and what the FBI knows, their big ultimate source of all of the information. And one of the things there is that Shayla is connected to Elliot as a as a deceased victim. And so the FBI knows that Elliot had this neighbor. Maybe they even know it's his girlfriend because Gideon Goddard did come to the FBI and testify. R.I.P. Speaking of R.I.P. R.I.P. DDP. No, DDP is alive. Uh, Gideon came to to the FBI and probably spilled his guts about everything involved that he knew about Elliot. So he probably gave him the information. And Shayla is dead. Shayla was dead outside that prison. And with her right there, another corpse on the ground, Fernando Vera's brother. And so there is a connection to Vera and a connection to Elliot with the FBI there. Is the FBI looking for Vera? I don't know. Have they connected Shayla's homicide to Vera? And is Vera somebody they want to bring in to get more information about Elliot? I don't know. But it does feel like a loose end. The other side of that loose end is that I, we don't know what Vera might want out of Elliot. Like This could be a major problem for Elliot if Vera were to pop up as a distraction like he did in season one where Elliot needed to focus on some Something else, And he had to deal with what was happening with Vera while that was all going on. And it was a major problem for him. So Vera knows a lot about Elliot. He knows about Darlene. Uh, he knows about Angela, I believe. They know, he knows some of these people that are important to Elliot. So there are things Vera could do to get at Elliot if he needed to, especially if the FBI was breathing down his neck. And Vera knows Elliot is a skilled hacker. So there's that element of it as well. So whether or not it comes in through the FBI angle or not, I think we could see Vera again for sure. Could you imagine Vera as some sort of FBI informant and we're kind of getting like some sort of Hannibal Lecter dynamic? How great would that be if he has been playing some sort of role in this plan and we get to see some scenes between him and DDP? That feels like a great dynamic in the making. Yeah, it does. Because it's weird when when Elliot was trying to stay alive, he essentially threatened Vera by saying, I have your whole organization. I have all of your business. I know all of your contacts. I know all of your deliveries and buys and all of these things. And I, I've set it to release every 24 hours if I don't reset it, if I don't stop it. And we don't know if that was an empty threat or when Elliot went to jail, if that stuff just all leaked out there. We don't know if Elliot put Vera in more hot water. We never really saw how that was resolved after Shayla was killed. Killed. So we don't know what Elliot may have done to Vera or, or what role Vera may have in wanting to get revenge against Elliot. But that would be phenomenal to see Vera in custody uh, and see him turning states and playing a, a game with Elliot. Maybe he's even trying to be a honeypot of sorts and, and, and play as a witness and draw Elliot in. So there are a lot of interesting ways that could play out for sure. 
All right. How about you know we we mentioned before uh, that DDP. Who we should we should specify when we say DDP. Who are we talking about here? Or, you know, it could be confusing if you're just walking into this Mr. Robot podcast for the first time. I think we mentioned earlier, but she's Dominic DiPiero. She's a special agent who is assigned to the Five Nine case, and she's played a role throughout the course of season two, played by Grace Gummer. She is a character who I think we did some great work with in season two, seeing that she, like many of these characters, feels a little bit alone feels a little bit lost in the world and maybe found her way into the FBI as a result of that. She has that great scene we talked about with Minister Zhang, where he's probing her for personal information. She, like Darlene, is a Jersey girl and grew up at the same time as these people. So whether she has a bigger connection to the meta story, Josh, RIP, DDP, one of our favorite, se- our favorite, our pet theories from season two, where we thought there might have actually been a direct connection between Darlene and DDP, but she certainly has a metaphysical connection or a, a, a physio, like a, like a spiritual connection uh, with the characters in the show. She's about the same age. She grew up in the same place. She also feels lost in the world like they do. So she being in the FBI is very interesting. Will they ultimately join sides with her and work against the Dark Army? Is that what we're going to see? Is that going to be, is that a loose end or is she going to take them down? We don't know, but that's a great character that's hanging around out there that we, we definitely want to see more from. And just for future reference, we will be referring to her as DDP. Dom DiPiero, whenever you hear DDP, that's who we're talking about. Yeah. It's just fun to say. Uh, but yeah. se- season two does end in this really, you know, this really fun cliffhanger with the DDP character, uh, that she has Darlene, you know, caught in the Python trap and Darlene being Elliot's sister. And Darlene has gone through a lot at that point. Her boyfriend has been murdered in front of her. She's been afraid for her life all season long. She's been having panic attacks, even though publicly, or at least um, publicly within F society, she's putting on this really brave front. So this is another lingering thread is what's happening with Darlene? Like, is she just going to be sent into prison, you know, just as Elliot has come out of prison? Uh, is she going to somehow be turned to work for DDP? Can you even imagine a scenario where Darlene is willing to play ball like that? So that's a that's a big loose end for me is, and I'm, I'm sure it will be addressed fairly swiftly, kind of has to within this, uh, uh, within this third season, within the first few episodes, you got to imagine that we're going to get some clarity on exactly what's going on with Darlene. Yeah, so that it, it's bad because her boyfriend's been killed. Like there are all these horrible things that have happened to her, but she's also been pointed to by a lot of other people as the ringleader of at least the post five nine F society, and so she's in real hot water. And she sees the map, and we don't know exactly why she reacts the way she reacts when she sees it, but she certainly seems taken aback by what she's seen. So she is is now part of this FBI situation. And one of the things that was revealed in the book uh, that I read, the Mr. Robot book written by Sam S. Mill and Courtney Looney, is that it's Elliot's journal from prison, and it's it's his thoughts. We see him keeping the journal in the, co- the course of season two. But one of the things he talks about loosely in that book is that he's willing to confess to Five nine to protect Angela. He basically says, if Angela gets involved in this and they take her down, like I'll cop it I, to protect her. I'll cop to it. Would he do the same thing for Darlene? One of the other things that he talks about in that journal is he's ready to deal with the FBI. He says he studied their methods. He knows how they think, and he has a plan for how to deal with it. He calls it reverse psychology, if you will, but he says he's ready for that. So that those seeds are there. They've been planted, granted, not on the show directly, but in the book uh, that is a part of the show. So it's canon. It's canon. It's canon. It's, it's, canon. Canon. it's canon. Yeah, it's canon. So that's there. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out in the, co- the course of this season for sure. 
Uh, you mentioned Angela, and I think it's worth just resetting where we leave season two with Angela, which is this conversation we have now referenced many times uh, with White Rose and whatever happened between the two of them. Angela seems like she is firmly team White Rose, firmly team Dark Army, or at least transformed by that conversation and has been brought in a little bit closer to the center of whatever conspiracy is happening here, where Tyrell Wellick and, and Angela are directly speaking to each other on the phone about Elliot as if she is fully briefed on the situation. What's happening with Angela Moss as we're heading into season three? That's a huge question mark. And it is for me, I think for a lot of people, I do think that that is one of, I think if, if people are frustrated with Angela's character, I, I can understand that because Angela is adrift and sometimes her actions don't always make sense in the moment. Uh, but you have to look at her, I think, through the lens of somebody who has been through some shit, Josh, like she's experienced some very difficult things and is is reacting. She is seemingly trying to take down E-Corp from the inside. But by the end of season two, she does get that mind erasure, if you will, or that total mind bend from White Rose and is, is called. Tyrell and saying, I'm coming. I'm coming. Elliot needs to see me first when he wakes up. So she seems to be all in with F Society and the Dark Army by the end of season two, Josh. Yeah, so that's compelling. Uh, that's that's exciting. And I, I do think that that has been something that the show has... Um, may, maybe it hasn't gone over super well with a lot of people, but it's certainly intentional, is we are being kept at arm's length from Angela. We don't fully know what's going on with Angela. You know, there are a lot of layers to the scenes with Angela Moss, with Portia Doubleday's performance, where you could read it a lot of different ways. I hope that there's some more clarity in season three. I think you can only get away with making... An- Angela is such an ambiguous character for so long. I don't know that you could go a full season three doing that. So I'm excited to finally get let in on wherever Angela's head is at in regards to the meta story and in regards to Elliot and his involvement with the Dark Army. And is she really all about him pursuing whatever is going on here and really being on board with White Rose and everything with that? Or if she now, once again, has a secret agenda that she is internalizing even further. All of that's very exciting, but completely confusing at this point really no clarity on it whatsoever for me yet at this point no me neither and i just think we'll have to we'll have to see and we've talked a ton about the larger meta story and maybe angela's role in that did white rose tell her something about the history of their family and their parents and the washington township is that what was said to get her on board i mean we're talking about this now but there's a lot that they a blanks that they could fill in to make her actions make a little bit more sense she's pushed her lawyers away she seems to be all inning with this strategy so it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out you know, tons of other loose ends that we could loose ends that we could talk about, but I think uh, one that would be uh, really important for us to set up before we close out here is the post-credit scene of season yes. two, uh, which involves two characters who, up to that point, we were worried maybe they were dead, maybe they were <laughs> our in son. Witness, you know, our son. Yes, Antonio and I. Uh, we both look. Uh, if you've never seen pictures of Antonio and I, just take a look at the character Mobley, played by Azar Khan on Mister Robot. He basically looks like. Uh, the fusion of Antonio and I. So we have long joked that uh, Mobley is our boy. He is our child. So you and I are deeply invested in the success and the survival of Mobley, of this character. And luckily, he's alive as it stands. Season two ends with Mobley and Trenton, who are two of the members of F Society. They have hit the road. They are on the run. They are in, I want to say, Arizona. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, they're Phoenix. in Arizona. 
They're in Phoenix, uh, rising from the ashes. They are working at an electronics store, and the season ends with the two of them on maybe a lunch break, and they are talking about the possibility that what if you could put the toothpaste back in the tube? What if we can undo the damage done by the 5-9 hack? What would that look like? And as they're having this conversation, yet another familiar face rears his head, and that is none other than Joey Badass himself, who plays Leon, who is clearly some sort of agent of the Dark Army. He was Elliot's friend in prison. He has killed for Elliot before, so we know just how far Leon is willing to go. And he shows up and says hi to Trenton and Mobley by delivering one of White Rose's classic lines, Do You Have the Time? Yes. Uh, which is also, uh, a, of course, a Green Day lyric that is also referenced in Mr. Robot earlier in the show's run. What do we make of this? How much of a, how, how big of a role do we think a Leon, Trenton, and Mobley trifecta will play? Are we deeply worried for Mobley and Trenton's safety, or do we think that there will be some sort of collaboration between these three characters? How do you expect this cliffhanger to play out? I think we talked about this a lot at the end of season two, and it certainly seems like if our, if Mobley and Trenton were to, if they were, if they were candidates to be executed, they'd be dead already. Like this isn't a thing where Leon would be interjecting that they wouldn't have heard him say a sentence. They'd be dead. So maybe the, the cliffhanger is, will they die immediately? We did already lose a member of F society in Romero in season two. But I don't know if uh, if they're if they're in bad shape. But the interesting thing about them, of course, is that Trenton is not only they're not just speculating about what if we could undo it. Trenton seems to believe that she has a way to undo it. And the key to this is that, as we mentioned, E Corp's data, their backups of the data was destroyed in China and in the United States. The tape backups, the digital data was simply encrypted. Now, simply meaning it was just encrypted, but the encryption was extremely complicated and the key deleted immediately. So the belief is that that data cannot be decrypted, that that is forever encrypted and, and it can never be undone. But it seems like maybe Trenton thinks that she has a way to decrypt it or that she can undo that. They're not just talking about alternate time lines like white roses to ddp like where there may be an alternate timeline where we can undo the hack and live these lives again they're actually saying like maybe we could use our technology to set this right i want you to work with me on this and the dark army seems to be monitoring that we speculated is that because whoever controls the ability to do that controls ecorp and in, doing, mm. and in doing so, controls all of their assets, which may be extremely depreciated, especially after stage two is executed. So is White Rose's plan to blow up all the paper documents to completely ruin E-Corp, then ultimately unlock with the decryption key that Trenton may be developing the data and, and own this depreciated asset that then is worth the entire world? That remains to be seen. But that seems to be highly possible that White Rose is using... Leon to move against Trenton and Mobley to prevent them from doing it and to maybe possess that skill for herself. But I think it also, on just kind of a, a, a broader thematic level, I think it really speaks to an idea that's in play in Mr. Robot that maybe we underrate when we talk about the show. And it's something that I'd love to track as we move into season three, is this idea of 
Can you put the toothpaste back in the tube? Can you take something back? Can you do something catastrophic and then realize, oh God, what have I done? And undo it. Uh, and I think you you couldn't find a human being on the planet, uh, as far as I'm concerned, like a thinking, feeling human being on the planet who doesn't feel that way about something in their past. I think it's a universal idea of, oh God, I did something. Where's the reset button? How do I reset this? You know, you everybody has that instinct of, I wish I could take that back could i is a is an interesting question to ask for this show and i think that's very much on the mind of the white rose storyline that you're talking about and in that story uh in that scene between white rose and ddp in china earlier in season two where white rose as minister zhang says to dom you know what what if the you know what if we were living in a world where the five nine hack never even happened i find that idea you know it moves me greatly i think that that's something to track uh moving into season three Elliot has expressed enormous regrets over his role in the yes. Five Nine Hack, even if he is not completely in charge of his actions because he has his own, uh, you know, very legitimate, deeply seated issues that he has to wrestle with. Um, I think it's something that's, you know, every single character we're talking about. Very lonely people are the series regulars on Mister Robot, are the main characters that we are tracking throughout this show, and even the least lonely people on the planet have these thoughts. You got to imagine how amped up that is inside of a very lonely individual. This idea of like, well, what if I had done that one thing differently? Would everything else be different? And is there any way to get to that place? And I think that this scene, this post-credit scene in season two really articulates that in a great way where Mobley and Trenton are talking about, well, what if we can undo that? So I think to explore that emotional idea through um, you know a really uh, propulsive plot idea, you know if that is something that we're going to work, characters are going to start to work to undo the five nine hack, or even as you suggested, and I really like the idea of White Rose believing that White Rose can hack time, even if that's not actually something that White Rose can accomplish, but devoting resources and devoting all of her time and energy to that idea would be really spectacular on that level that I think is a pretty close to center idea for Mr. Robot. Um, you know, loneliness being such a huge part of this show and that aspect of regret and, you know, wanting to be able to undo those regrets being such a central part to the, to the lonely existence, I think is something that's worth following as we're moving into season three. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see how that plays out because there are ways to do it like you've just described that are that are more that are more thematic and there are ways to do it that are direct and the show has done a great job of straddling that line and I'm fascinated to see how this will all play out for sure. All right, so you guys will not be lonely as you are listening to these Mr. Robot podcasts. We will be the friend in your ears throughout the hello friends throughout this whole season. Antonio and I are going to be talking about each episode of Mr. Robot. In fact, we're not even done with our preview coverage of the season. We have already decided we have more to say on Mr. Robot before this show comes up. So look out for it very soon. We're going to drop another preview podcast that's going to take a look at some of the essential scenes uh, of Mr. Robot, scenes that you really ought to review visit before season three premieres, things that you might want to really freshen up on, just moments that might stand out to you even more, having the full knowledge of seasons one and two, even moments from season one that are going to have new depths of clarity if you go back and watch that. So we're going to stake out some of the some of the top scenes that you really want to go back and check out before Mr. Robot season three. Then we're also, of course, going to have our recap of the first episode of season three. That is, that is going to come your way on Friday, uh, October 
October 13th. Unlucky day, but it'll be a lucky day for Mr. Robot listeners for sure. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about that first episode. We will provide the deepest analysis we can possibly bring to this crazy, crazy show. Uh, we'll certainly talk your ear off, if nothing else, uh, I think is the, is the game plan there, Antonio. Yes, and I'm very excited, Josh, that, it, that that will all be influenced by your interviews that you're going to have for The Hollywood Reporter and the stuff that you're going to get uh, from the creators of the show and the people that are involved with the working of the show. You had a little bit of a taste of that last year, and it was a great taste. It was like Red Wheelbarrow Barbecue. I just can't wait to get mm. more. Finger licking good. Yes. So the way that that will arc out as we are covering Mr. Robot is we are going to have we are going to have interviews with the cast and crew that will be posting after each episode on Wednesday nights. We're going to have a weekly Thursday column with Cor Adana, who is one of the great producers and writers on Mr. Robot. He will be filling us in on some of the secrets we should be paying attention to. So that'll be really fun if you're looking to hack the show. We'll have the main hacker himself providing some insight in that regard. And then on Fridays, our podcasts will post. So it's a three-pronged approach to Mr. Robot on the Hollywood Reporter this season. And I'm pumped. I'm amped up. I think it's going to be a really fun season. It'll at least be a really fun season to chew on. And we are going to give you as much material as we possibly can for you to help yourselves through the analysis of this very complicated show. Yeah, don't miss an episode. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. You'll get every episode that we podcast about here. Mr. Robot at Post Show Recaps. I'm very excited for that, Josh. Yes, and thr.com slash Robot for our, all of our articles as well. Plenty of places to dive into all of this stuff. Anything else, Antonio, or do you want to save it for the next podcast? Let's save it for the next one. We don't, we don't want to drop phase three on them already, Josh. We, we don't want to just throw this in here. <laughs> phase three is on its way. Subscribe to Post Show Recaps postshowrecaps.com slash Mr. Robot iTunes for our Mr. Robot content. Postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes for all of our podcasts, including Winter Was Here, our Game of Thrones rewatch that is also co-sponsored by The Hollywood Reporter, a co-production with THR. Really fun stuff that's happening over there. You can follow Antonio. He's on Twitter at AC Mazzaro. How many Zs? How many R's in that, Antonio? AC Mazzaro, two Zs, one R, Josh. That's how you find Antonio on the internet. I am at Round Howard. We will be back very soon with another preview show show as we are launching toward season three of Mr. Robot. Take care, everybody. Goodbye.